Welcome to another episode of Lineage Speaks, the podcast. I'm your host, Margalena Dawn. And today, sharing three passages titled Why Intimacy and Sex Are So Vital for Our Healing, we have Melissa Keenan, CEO of AMA Publishing, keynote speaker, international and USA Today bestselling author. Melissa Keenan is the go-to intimacy expert for high-achieving spiritual CEOs. She understands leaders who feel amazing in their work, but less seen and supported at home. More than just a five-year coach or a certified master of the Gibson Banning Method, Melissa is an expert at healing arts, starting with her own. Having overcome separation from her husband and the hurt of betrayal, and ultimately rebuilt and repaired her marriage, Melissa now has supported individuals and couples to release societal conditioning and learn to embrace intimacy and harmony of masculine feminine energy so that they can feel deeply fulfilled in their relationships while expanding their business and leadership. When she is not in the middle of everyone's private lives, you will find her dancing, singing, praying, and unschooling at her hobby ranch in Northern Nevada where she lives with her husband, CJ, and their four children. Buckle up, because this story is not for the feeble. Let him have his whore, she wrote. I recovered 100 letters last fall, penned 50 years ago by my grandmother, Lillian. I devoured every single letter in the course of several days, tears streaming down my face, snot flying as I finally got to know her, to hear her voice, to put myself in her shoes and finally begin to really understand what happened to her. I called your father today. I needed him to fix my car. He don't care about me anymore. He came over in a bad mood, but he did give me the money to get it fixed, she wrote. You see, she died in 1983, just five years before I was born. I never met her. Instead, I met the only grandma I knew, a woman I was raised to call Joyce, my step-grandmother. I'm trying out this new typewriter, mostly just trying to keep myself busy so I don't have to think about him. He has made his bed, she wrote. They had lived an entire life together, she and my grandpa, a strong Christian upbringing for both of them. She was a dignified lady of faith with little education, amazing sewing and homemaking skills, who wouldn't be caught without lipstick and her hair done. I'm pretty sure she was perfect, but that didn't mean she was happy. I got my hair done today. I don't care if he notices, she wrote in another letter. They had raised their three children together and all three were fully grown adults, married and out of the home. When one day my grandma caught my grandpa in an affair with a woman the same age as her middle adult child, 30 years his junior. This affair didn't just last a few months, it went on for years. Several years in, she wrote, Oh, it was a miracle. He came over and I saw tears in his eyes as he apologized for everything. The Lord is working on his heart. I just know he's done with her. He wasn't. Eventually, my step-grandma Joyce moved in to become the live-in nurse as my grandmother lay in her bed dying of Parkinson's. 
I can't believe he brought her here to take care of me. How could he? But what choice do I have? Her letters stirred something so deep in me. Deep sadness for what she had experienced rips at my heart. It's horrendous to sit and watch as your husband chooses someone the age of your children. There's no competition. Watching all her dreams shatter, watching everything she had poured her life into crumble. Laying in bed dying, listening to your husband betray you again and again in the next room by the hand who would come in and bathe you and feed you in your weakest moments. How do I rectify my ancestors and live in a way that liberates them? She was a quote-unquote good Christian woman, and that meant she had to spend the better part of the last 10 years of her life pretending to be happy, waiting for her husband to see her value, self-sacrificing, never misbehaving, never a hair out of place. She never got the chance to uncover who she truly was. She was a mother and she had talents and she was a wife, but from the other side of the veil, I can feel that there was so much more to her, a power left completely untapped. If she had been given permission, set free, what would she have created on the planet? What force would she have been and what happiness might she have created? As I help women heal, I can often feel her facilitating the healing, facilitating the next step in my business and urging me to pursue my interests and gifts on the planet, urging me to be the fully unleashed, fully free version of myself who pursues my own pleasure, things that she couldn't do urging me to not allow the good Christian woman in me to become the reason that I self-sabotage every good thing about being me and helping other women to do the same. Why do I support women with the divine feminine, sex, and intimacy? Because Grandma Lillian was robbed of her fullest expression of herself, first by her society and culture, and then by her husband. Part 2 the whore and what I love about her. No one told me that the woman I believed was my most beloved grandma was actually the mistress who tortured my real grandma and then replaced her. Joyce was the whore that ran around with my grandpa, 30 years his junior for the better part of the final 10 years of my grandma Lillian's life. She took care of my grandma as she died while they were still married and then married him within a year after Lillian's death. Did you catch that whirlwind? They had been married five years by the time I was born. I never thought to question why I didn't call her grandma. That just wasn't what we did. So she was my Joyce, which in my world meant the best grandma ever. The one who says yes to my every whim when everyone else says no. The one who cherishes and adores me most. The one who takes pictures of me with her Polaroid camera every single day and then has a Melissa gallery wall with about a hundred photos on it of just me. So who was she? Who was Joyce? The whore or the best grandma ever? She was neither and she was both. We can learn so much as women, as humans, from this paradox. Grandma Joyce was a woman who knew that experiencing love, belonging, and protection was her birthright, and she was willing to do whatever it took to claim them. You see, she was raised by a single mother. 
They were tossed from one lousy man to another, and I am certain she was taken advantage of by her mother's boyfriends. She wouldn't talk about her childhood much. Tiny threads, tiny bits and pieces would spill out. One thing I'm sure of, it was rotten. I remember sitting with her in the grass one sunny day where everything felt perfect in my world. She taught me how to pull the blade of grass out just so, revealing the white flesh from the grass so that you could eat it. We would do this together for fun and I would show the funny trick to my friends as I got older, only to then put pieces together in my adulthood that she only knew that trick because many times that was all she had to eat. She and her mom were often homeless, living in cornfields or anywhere they could find shelter and temporary refuge from the bad boyfriends. By the time she met my grandpa, I honestly doubt she could count how many sexual partners she had had, let alone how many bad men had violated her at every age and stage of life. A million lovers with no one to call her own. Never felt love and belonging. No real training or education or skills to speak of. A lot of heart, a lot of interests, but no opportunity. When my grandpa met her, she was a card dealer at the casino. My 80-year-old aunts in their southern accents called her a Lisbon. They were sure she slept with female friends too, or anything that she could for that matter. Maybe she felt like the only good thing she had to offer was her sex. Is that the definition of a whore? She was marked the worst creature to crawl the earth when she moved in with and ultimately married my grandpa. She was treated that way too, even by my grandpa at times, whose shame and Christian morals of his upbringing always had him second-guessing his decision to love her. It was easy for everyone around to cast judgment on her. It was easy for everyone to see the damage she had caused. It is easy for society to turn its back on a whore. But maybe she was just as trapped as my grandma Lillian, but in different ways. I mean, who says yes to moving in and being the hospice nurse to your one true love's wife, which he refuses to divorce? Did anyone ever ask her that how that must have felt? When my grandma Lillian died, she and my grandpa finally married. She was as happy as she had ever been in her life. She lost so much weight. She changed her hair. She had never had money to fix her teeth, which apparently were rotting out of her head. And so she got dentures. She had a home, security, and a man who cherished her. And then I came along. And for a long time, grandpa and I were her whole world. Having no children of her own, I gave her a new purpose and meaning in her life, a granddaughter who wouldn't judge her for her past. When Grandpa died, she quickly withered away and died, despite their 30-year age gap. In fact, she moved into an elderly home and began sleeping with everyone there until she forgot her own name. Sex was all she knew. I will never forget visiting her for the last time before she died. A baby doll slung over her shoulder. You couldn't understand anything she said, but periodically she would reach up and pat the baby's back saying, shh, it's okay, Melissa, it's okay, Melissa. So who was she? The whore or the best grandma ever? 
She was neither and she was both. Joyce gave me a gift. Not only could I love and accept all parts of her, but I could learn from her. So why heal intimacy and sexuality for myself and women all over the world? For Joyce. She never knew her true worth beyond her sexuality, so that I could clearly see and claim my own worth unattached to anything I can or can't do. She also really knew her sexuality and wasn't afraid of it. So I can too. She was persecuted for her entire life rather than receiving understanding. I doubt anyone on the planet but me and now you truly understood why she was the way she was so that I could deeply understand women of all walks of life. Before she even had a choice, she was raped and abused and labeled a whore, never given another chance to show that there was anything more to her. So she used that identity to get what she wanted and deserved, love and family, so that I can free myself from the labels that people would try to box me into and use my circumstances to get what I want too. You see, every one of us has a part of us that is a whore. The part that wants endless pleasure, the part that knows how to get what she wants, the part that is sexual and sensual in nature. When we attempt to judge and criticize the whore that we see in other women, all we are really doing is shutting down that part of ourselves. Society should have given her a chance at being something more than the whore, but it never did. And if society was going to simply label her a whore, it should have then made a space for her. That even with that label, she was worthy and deserved love and belonging and happiness. But the world didn't give her that. So she took what she knew was hers anyway. I think somewhere deep down she knew that no matter how many people hated her and no matter what the world said, she was more than what they said. Part three, the men. Two months ago, I was asked to speak in Colorado. It would consist of a day long mastermind with the six speakers. And then in the evening, we would speak on stage. All but two of the speakers were men. I had to resist my knee jerk reaction to run and said yes anyway. So there we are, it's the big day. Normally I go first for everything, it's just what I do, but not this time. The whole day had passed along and I didn't yet take my turn in the hot seat for the mastermind. I was trying to decide what to share and what to receive support around and I was also unconsciously filling out the men in the group. One by one they sat in the hot seat and bore their soul, talking about their lives up to this point, what their vision is for the world, what they've done to create it and what they want to do, what has held them back. And I fell in love with their spirits one by one. They were each amazing. Then it hit me. It was my turn. And rather than tell them about my business model and blah, blah, I needed them to witness my story. I would tell them my story with men. I started tentatively and began crying immediately and constantly for the next one and a half hours. I said, I don't need any business strategies today. I need men who can be my friends. I need to be seen deeply by men who are not my husband so I can build up the belief in myself that most men are good, 
that I can trust men, that I can be seen and understood and valued by men. Some of what poured out of my mouth surprised me. For instance, I talked about how most of the men who belong to my church and family seem to turn up their nose at my business. They don't ask me about it because most of the women in my church are stay-at-home moms. Like this attitude of, what are you doing in this space with your cute little relationship business? I didn't realize how much that bothered me until I had said it. But then I went way deeper than that. I told of my grandpa, the one you already know about from part one and part two. I told of my dad, who was an addict his whole life and ultimately followed in his father's footsteps, cheating on my mom and divorcing her when she became chronically ill. I told of my other grandpa, a Vietnam veteran who molested my mother and her sister until she was 14. So ultimately both of them weren't even able to raise their own daughters because they endured so much damage in their childhood that they never quite figured out their adulthood. How their brother was put into an insane asylum at 17 and eventually died there because he tried to burn the house down and was diagnosed with schizophrenia. But probably he was just spiritually sensitive to what was happening in their home. I told of my great uncle who molested his nieces and when they were on their way to have him arrested, he shot himself and his son, now a 60 year old man, just finished a prison sentence for voyeurism and child pornography. I told of my machismo uncle who raised me from 12 to 18, who would dominate every conversation, who poked me in the chest until it bruised, letting me know that I was not allowed to show emotion in his home, who condescendingly criticized my aunt at every dinner time as we sat for the mandatory family dinner to watch, how I would get in so much trouble for standing up to him. I told about marrying my husband and trying to micromanage and control him to the very core because I was so friggin terrified that if I didn't, he would destroy my life and now my children's lives. How I would belittle him and try to outcompete with him in everything we did and how horrified I was when he came forward letting me know about his secret sex addiction that I knew nothing about for our first five years of marriage. <sighs> Is it any wonder that we might wince around men? That we might struggle around our husbands, even our own sons? But then, in this little mastermind circle, I told how CJ, my husband, taught me. How when I watched him go through that absolutely horrendous and painstaking process of recovery, and then starting our marriage anew, ripping out the foundation, replacing it with a new one, how he gave me a hope in men that I hadn't ever known was there, that I had never experienced or thought was possible. It didn't make sense to know his deepest, darkest secrets, some of which had hurt me tremendously, but then love him all the more for it and respect him all the more for it. I told of how I came to a point where I was able to put myself in their shoes, the men in my life, to see the world through their eyes, to find some compassion and understanding for each of them, to come face to face with the darkness inside of them and begin to understand what broke, what went wrong when they made such life-altering decisions. And you know what happened as I shared? 
Each of them cried. They cried with me. They cried for me. They cried for the men in my life. They cried for the women in my family. And then we all cried for all of humanity. We all cried for all of it. These men, they went around the room one by one, empathizing with me, thanking me for my sacred story and vulnerability, and telling me that they love me in a brotherly way. They told me how much they respected me as the businesswoman, how much I had helped them with the things I shared with them when they were on the hot seat. Then they told me what they saw in me. I went from sobbing to shaking just softening, sipping my peppermint tea surrounded by men. And then we had an open conversation about how hard this whole paradigm is for good men. One by one, it sort of leaked out as they shared their reaction to my story, how they spend their lives trying to prove that they aren't one of those guys how they feel shame for being so sexually driven and no one helps them understand what to do with that. How hard it is to feel like you have to be the strong one all the time and never show emotion. How most men recognize the sacred protective role they play for women and how vulnerable women must feel even if nothing else but for our biology. How much pressure they feel even from their own wives to live up to this massive expectations she has of him. How they do have a dark side that is violent and wants to protect and defend and would even kill for it, but no one helps them understand that part of themselves. And how women act like they hate it until they need it. How much they want to give and serve and lead, but how often they are emasculated and robbed of the opportunity. I heal sex and intimacy for myself and for the women in the world, for the men too. Men who have made good choices and bad choices. Men who are simply trying to figure it all out, just like the women. When I work with couples side by side, I see the same earnestness in the husbands that I work with. They are good. They want to make their wives happy. Their inner child wants to be told he's doing good and that he's a good boy, just like our inner child has wants too. They need to take accountability, yes. There need to be consequences for poor actions, yes. But most of our men need to stop being punished for the sins of the men around them. And I and we can change that by healing our own intimacy. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe, rate, and review us if our stories help you on your journey. Follow us on Instagram at Lineage Speaks the Podcast. Until the next episode, honor the light within you and let it guide your way on.